Open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 27. And as we are opening our Bibles to Acts chapter 27, let me just share a couple of things with you uh, before we go there. Uh, we are in the final chapters of the book. And as we are reaching the final chapters of the book, today we're going to see Paul. He's going to rise from prisoner to leader. His faith and character are going to propel him to lead a group of people through the storm. And I want to remind you of this, that there are many people in today's world, and not only in today's world, but there are many people in this place that are going through some major storms of life. And the storms that are in our lives are brought by health issues, they're brought by broken marriages, they're brought upon by wayward children. They're brought upon by sickly parents. They're brought upon by finances that are out of control. They're brought upon by maybe unemployment or harassment at our jobs or maybe some of us even experiencing some legal issues. But for us as Christians, I want you to know that we have the answer. Remember that we have the answer. And what is the answer? I'm going to give you three things that quickly would are the answers to the storms of life. The first is God. Remember that. God has authority over every problem and every trial. As we place our faith in him, he tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Remember, as you go through the storms of life, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, it's producing something in us. These storms of life, these problems of life, they are producing things in us. And one of them is perseverance, to keep going, not to give up. Not only are they producing perseverance, but they're also shaping and molding our character. Remember that, our character Character is so important. It's who you are. And our hope. Remember our hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, so the first answer was God to the storms of life. The second answer is the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God answers the storms of life. The first one, I want to remind you of a scripture from 119 verses 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's a lamp. It directs us. Whatever storms you're going to, the word of God will direct you. And not only will it direct you, and it will give you a light unto your path so you don't trip. But we're told in Psalms 119 verse 107. I am afflicted very much. I am going through these major storms and it says, revive me, O Lord, according to your word. So his word revives us as we go through the storms of life. And not only that, but in 119 verse 50, it also tells us that this is my comfort in my affliction. This is my comfort as I go through the storms of life because your word has given me life. Your word has given me life. Remember, when we go through the storms, it revives us. It gives us life. And every one of us goes through the storms. Remember, even Jesus, as he faced one of his greatest battles, 
What did he tell the devil? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is vital. It sustains us through the storms. And so the answers to our problems in life also come from others, the comfort of others. Remember that. I said I would give you three, God, the word of God, and the comfort of others. See, the major storms in our life that hit us, we are not only comforted by God, we're not only comforted by his word, but we also receive the comfort from others. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation. Remember, we're talking about God. But then this is what happens thereafter, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as we are comforted by God, may, may we be open to comfort others. Remember, you go through these storms of life so that as you're comforted by God, as you escape the storm, then in turn you can comfort others. Let's talk now about the book of Acts here. I want to share the current events that are happening here in Acts. After three trials, remember Paul was going through some major storms. After three trials, the Jews could not bring a guilty verdict or judgment upon Paul. And so Paul, being a Roman citizen, decides to exercise his Roman right for a trial before Caesar. He exercised it. This was his right as a Roman. I want to exercise my right for a trial before Caesar. And the Roman governor of Judea that was doing his or conducting his third trial, he didn't find any guilt with Paul. And so not finding any guilt, what does he do? He accepts Paul's appeal to Caesar. And so Acts 27, it deals with Paul's travel to Rome for his trial before Caesar Nero. He was going to be tried by Caesar Nero. And so all of 27 talks about the journey, the travels to Rome. And one thing about Paul is that he longed to go to Rome. He wanted to be in Rome. He wanted to share the gospel in Rome. And not only in Rome, he wanted to share the gospel in Spain. Why? Because this, these were the locations that the gospel had not been heard. You know, I, this longing that he has... Believe me, I understand this longing. I have a longing to go back to central Mexico because 90% of the people in central Mexico have never heard the gospel. So Paul had this longing. And the Lord promised Paul. He says, I'm going to send you back to Rome in Acts 23, 11. And so Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he gives the details on his travels to Rome. But most importantly, what Dr. Luke gives us is a major storm that was about to plunder both Paul and the others. And it was through this storm that Paul would rise to the occasion as well as for us, the call to rise to the occasion, revealing our faith, our hope, and our courage in the Lord so that others can see who we are in the Lord to be encouraged and to be comforted. The title of today's message is sailing through the storm sailing through the storm and with that let's go ahead and begin in verse 1 of acts chapter 27 it says and when it was decided that we should sail to italy 
They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Let's stop here. As we read here, it was finally decided. You know what? The trial is over. The governor Festus said, you're going to Rome. And so it was decided that they should go to Italy. And the travels to Rome begins. But I want to bring note to something that we read here. It says we, the pronoun we. This would mean that the author of this book, Dr. Luke, he was traveling with Paul. And this is why we have all these great details. And not only was Dr. Luke the author of the book and companion of Paul, but he was also a personal physician. In other words, he was there to attend to Paul's needs. So you can imagine, Dr. Luke, imagine this. Imagine how awesome it would have been to travel with Paul as, he conduct, as, as God moved through him and all these great miracles were done through him. But now he would also travel with Paul through the difficult times. And these are the type of friends we want, aren't they? Those that stick with us through the good and through the hard times. Not just through the good, but also through the hard. As it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Friends, how important these are. And especially friends in the Lord. I'm talking about friends that are truly want the best for you, not friends of the world, because they could care less about the things of God and what's best for you. We're talking about the people, friends, and your friends in, in the faith. Friends that truly care for you. Friends that aren't leading you astray. And as I've reminded you time and time again, the friends that you have here, the, the brothers and sisters in the Lord now, are truly deeper now than your own physical families. Your spiritual family becomes deeper and greater than your physical family. And we see that. And you see it in your own lives. You spend more time with people at church than you do with your own physical families. Well, we read, read here that Paul is delivered to a centurion and his name is Julius and he belongs to the imperial regiment. In other words, this was a special corps acting as liaisons between the emperor and the provinces. And knowing this about this man, Julius, you can only assume that this centurion was now a man of experience who went up the ranks. He would have had an excellent record as well as a reputation belonging to the imperial regiment. And so there were many, what, prisoners that were given to him. So you know that, that, Lord, uh, that, that this man was a man of, of integrity, a man of, that could be trusted, a, a soldier, a, a commander. Verse 2 goes on to say, So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast, of Thessalonica, I'm sorry, along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So here the voyage begins. And they enter the ship whose home port was a dramitium. And it was scheduled to make several stops 
at the ports alongside the coast of Asia. And we're also told here that Paul had another companion, and his name is Aristarchus. Colossians 4.10 speaks of, the, of this man, Aristarchus, where it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And so you have here two men that are traveling with Paul. You have Dr. Luke as well as Aristarchus. And remember, a three-braided cord is stronger, isn't it, than just two because you have also a third one there. Imagine. And that's what happens to us when we're with others that are believers, right? The fire that is in us, it warms everyone around us. And we got to remember that. That's why we're around other believers. If we're around those that are non-believers, guess what? Their coldness, their lack of fire and zeal puts our fire out that's why the lord says don't do what don't keep company with the immoral right because they bring you down as we keep reading on in verse three it says and the next day we landed at sidon and julius treated paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care let me remind you paul is a prisoner and in their first stop we are told here in sidon that julius the centurion he treats Paul kindly and gives him liberty to visit his friends and to receive care. In other words, the centurion trusted Paul. Go ahead and do as you wish. I'm not worried about you escaping. I'm not worried about you running away. I trust you. And what does this say to us? As Christians, remember this. You're either going to have a good reputation or a bad reputation in the circles that are around you. The circles that I'm talking about, at your jobs, with your family, or with your friends. And here we see a non-believer. What do non-believers think of you? It's God's desire that you would have a good testimony before them. That they would say your character is commendable, that brings glory and honor to the Lord. I want to give you an example, and it's not even to pat myself on the back or to bring attention to myself but it's all for the glory of God I remember when I worked at BMW Financial Services I remember it was you know I had supervisors I had managers the regional managers that were over me they would I would have one every two years and they knew I was a Christian but most importantly they knew my character See, because many people call themselves Christians, but does your life back out what you, who you say you are? They knew my character. And they knew me, and I had interacted with someone. Someone were promoted, right? And they became my boss, and they knew who I was. And for them, they would always tell me, just keep doing what you're doing. They would leave me alone. They wouldn't even, you know what? They wouldn't be on me, and they, would just, they, they, they just said, just do what you do because we trust you to get the job done. In my reviews, they would always talk about my character. That was something that always came up in my reviews. My character. Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Is your character commendable? We know that we're going to have haters at our jobs that the enemy brings. We know that these, enemy, that these haters at our jobs come because they want to, the enemy has, wants to persecute us. But apart from these, are you respected by the owners and managers that you have? Or if you're a manager or an owner, do they respect you? Do they say your character is above reproach? Things to think about. 
As we keep moving, as we keep reading on in verse 4, it goes on to say, When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. If we can pull up the map here, I want to show you a map as to what's going on. Remember, we, they started here from uh, Caesarea. That's where he was tried by the governor Festus. They, they, uh, they sailed off to Sidon, as we talked about. But as we see here, they ended up coming along this way and along in between the island of Cyprus and the mainland here. Usually what they would do is they would come across this way. But as we're told here in verses 4 through 6, it says that when they put out to sea, the winds were contrary. In other words, they encountered headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. And so they sailed north of the island of Cyprus, if you could put it back up there, right in between, as I say there, right in between Cyprus and the mainland. And then they arrived, as it says there, in Myra. And so from there, they exit the ship. And they end up finding another ship. And this other ship that they found, it came from Alexandria, from Egypt. And one thing about Egypt, remember, Egypt had, was known for its grain. Remember, grain, right? And that's where Rome would receive their grain from Egypt. And we hear that this ship was going to go on a direct sail to Italy, carrying also grain as well as passengers. Acts 27 verse 38 reveals the grain that they carried. And so they get on this Alexandrian ship, and they sail off to Rome. Verse 7, let's keep reading on. It says, When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitted, permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Samon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lysaia. Okay? As we read here, they had rough sailing. And because of this, they finally arrived at Nidus. If you could pull up the map again. So from here, whenever you traveled here, you would go straight across this way to Rome, to Italy. You would go across this way. But as we see here that there was, what, a, a rough wind. There was rough sailing. The wind was against them. And because they weren't able to go west this way around, that they, end up go, that they ended up going south from Nidus down here and then going around over to Italy. And so they go across, uh, around the Cape of Salmoni and struggling along the coast there, making a difficulty. They finally arrive at Fairhaven there on the island. And as we read there in verse 9, that they wasted a lot of time. Sailing was dangerous as... As we read here in verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast, because the fast was already over. I want you to know that it talks about a fast here. What does it mean by the fast? The fast had now just passed. And what does that mean? They're referencing here the Jewish day of atonement, which fell in early October. And this was a reason why the waters were rough. 
It's a dangerous time for sailing. During the month of October, early November, you don't want to be out in the sea here. And as I'll share with you a personal testimony, as when I worked for BMW Financial Services, I was awarded a cruise from Italy to Greece. We started in Rome, and from there we sailed out, and we went over to Greece. And if you could pull up the map here, so we sailed from here all the way over to Athens. But when we came here to the agency, the waters are rough, and that's where they experienced all of this here. I mean, as far as, uh, you know, as they're experiencing all this initially, and these were from the Aegean Sea there. And so, believe me, when we were on that ship, and it was a cruise ship, we were, I mean, everybody was terrified the way, the, the way we were going on the, on the waters there and the rough waters and the way the ship was rolling on the waters. And you can imagine, we're in a modern ship. You can imagine them. How rough would it have been for them? And so as we keep reading on, look at what it says. So Paul advised them in verse 10, he says, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster, much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the houndsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because our harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Paul, he gives his personal opinion here. He says, you know what? There's trouble water ahead of us. If we stay, if we go with the way the waters are now, we're going to have a loss of ship, a loss of cargo, and most importantly, a loss of lives. But as we see here, the helmsman, the captain and the, captain and the owner of the ship, they thought differently. Why didn't they want to stay there? If you go back to the map, why didn't they want to stay in Fair Havens here? They wanted to go to Phoenix. Why would they want to go to Phoenix here? Because Fair Havens was a small town. The amenities were not that good there. They wanted to go into a larger town, into the harbor there of Phoenix. It wasn't a big town like, I mean, Phoenix was a, big, a bigger town than, than Fair Havens. And because a centurion was the highest ranking official on that ship, that he had the right to make the final call. And what does he do? He agrees with the majority, which was a captain and the owner, versus the wisdom of Paul. How did Paul know about waters? I mean, we know that he was well-schooled, right? He was schooled under the, the great, uh, under the, the, that amazing teacher, Gamaliel, of the Old Testament scriptures. We also know that, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was well-schooled. He was a leader. But how did he know about ships, about waters? 2 Corinthians 11.25 reveals that three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. I think that makes him a pretty good expert, right, on the waters and, and ships. But not only that, remember this about Paul. Paul was on three missionary journeys, and guess how they used to have to travel to get to Asia, my, uh, Asia Minor, to get to Greece? It was through the waters, 
So he spent much time on these journeys. He understood the waters. And so he had some, 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 um, some history behind him. But what I most admire about Paul here is that he said his peace. What do I mean by this? See, when God places something on your heart, you are to share it. And you don't have to share it in a demeaning, angry way. You share it with love. And if people don't listen to your counsel, then don't worry about it. It's on their head. See, we've been called to be bold when it is appropriate, especially when you see other people going into danger. When they're headed for danger, when you see that there's problems that are coming, it's appropriate to be bold and to share with love counsel to prevent this from happening. But what happens many times is when we give counsel, when we give ad, uh, advice and people don't listen to the counsel, then guess what? You get upset. And I want you to know when you get upset, it's pride. I used to get upset. I had to deal with pride. But these days, I want you to know one thing. It doesn't matter to me anymore. All I care about is, is sharing what God has asked me to share. And then I could wash my hands and my kids will share that with you. I've told them over and over again, you know what? I shared it and that's all that matters. What they do, that's up to them. We don't get offended. We don't get worried. Just do what God is asking you to do. And, and you don't have to dwell on what others do with it. And if you're wrong or I'm wrong, then so be it. But if I'm right or you're right, then they're going to see it. Don't worry about it. And so what happens next? Verse 13 says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. We let her drive. I want you to pull up the map again. If we could see this map. See, they sailed here close, right? But as they were trying to go to Phoenix from here to there, this Euroclidon came. What's a Euroclidon? I want you to know what a Euroclidon. A Euroclidon is a wind of typhoon strength. That's what it is. It's a wind of typhoon strength. And as we see here, here comes the storm. And that's why they were trying to sail close against Crete. But in reality, it brought them south. And so they couldn't run against the wind. And so they lost control of the ship and they let her go. And they end up sailing into the storm. And this storm was so tumultuous. This storm was... Nothing that they expected. This storm was great. It was life-threatening, and it caught them by surprise. And isn't this how the storms of life catch us by surprise? None of us ever expect the major trials. These major storms, they always come by surprise. They abruptly come. And I want you to know that many times these major storms of life that come into our lives... They are not caused by our doing or our fault. It's not because of something that we did. 
Many times these storms just happen even though we didn't create them. Just like with Paul, as we are told here, Paul was thrown into the storm that he did not create. He actually tried to prevent and attempted to stop the storm, but they wouldn't listen to him, and he was brought into the storm. How many storms have we brought into? Because of the sins of others. The sins of others. These guys didn't want to listen. They didn't want to obey. They didn't want to yield to wisdom, but they instead wanted to do their own thing. And this is what happens many times. Storms of our lives that are caused by others. Maybe your spouse is cheating on you and it's brought a major storm in your life. It's not what, you, what you're doing, it's the sins of others. Maybe the mismanagement of a company that you work for, they, they're closing down and they caused a layoff now and they're letting the employees go. You didn't cause it, it was a sin of mismanagement. Maybe your children's choices for sin is causing a heartbreak. Maybe you're a victim of a crime, of someone in sin, and you're the victim of it. Maybe you're in an accident and someone else caused the accident, and it's through no fault of your own. They were either drinking or they were looking at their cell phone. And I want to remind you of one important thing. God didn't cause this storm. Remember that. The storms have been caused by sin. Many times people will come to us and say, well, you know what? God did this and God did that. And I have to correct them and I tell them, it's not God that did it. It's, your, it's the sin that caused this. It's either the sin of others or your sin. And yet we're so easy to point at God and to point the finger at God when God, in fact, did not create the storm. Remember, sin that is in this world is the one that creates the storm. We have these Euroclidons in our lives. And these Euroclidons are major storms, major turmoil that shakes our life, that shakes us. And so what do we do? Let's keep reading on in verse 16. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada or Cotta, we secured the skiff, meaning the lifeboat, with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run again aground on the Surtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lined the ship. And on the third day we threw the ship's tackle uh, overboard with our own hands." Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. If we can pull up the map, I want to share with you first what's going on. As we see here, right, they, they wanted to go this way, but they were tossed south and they come here to the island of Cotta or Clotta, same one. And they realize, you know what, things are getting out of control here. We're going south and, and you know, we can't go west. And so they hoisted, hoisted the lifeboat on the boat. And what they also do is they end up banding the ship 
in order to strengthen the hull. And what is the hull? The hull is the lower portion of the ship that's close to the water, right on the water there, to, in order that the ship would not fall apart. So they banded the ship with the ropes to strengthen the hull so it wouldn't fall apart. And it tells us that they lowered the anchor so they wouldn't be driven to the sandbars of here, Syria, off the African coast. If they wouldn't have let the anchor down, they would have gone all the way down here. And that's a dangerous thing with the sandbars there. And so the next day, it tells us that the, wind, the, the winds, they continued to batter the ship, that the crew began to throw out the, the cargo, and they began to throw out the equipment of the ship, and anything that they could lay their hands on, they began to throw it off the ship so that it can be lighter. But I want to talk about the storms that happen in our lives. We're just like them. We try to weather the storm. We try to make our plans to keep things together. And when that doesn't work, we start throwing out things of our lives to improve matters instead of just turning to God and surrendering to God. Remember, this storm went on for many days. It says there was no sun. It says there was no stars. And, uh, and, uh, and they couldn't see them, right? And so the storm continued to rage on and on. And isn't this the way the storms of life ha happen in our lives? They continue for many days. And what happens when the storms continue for many days? You give up. When you just think that these storms are too deep, they're too hard, they're too difficult. They're tumultuous. They're turning our life upside down. And people lose hope. Just like in verse 20, it tells us that all hope that we would be saved was given up. That we would be saved. We. This included Paul. This included Aristarchus as well as Dr. Luke. They lost all hope of survival. And this is what happens in the Euroclidons of our life. The storms that are so tumultuous that they batter us down and we begin to think that, you know what, there's no more hope. That's it. It's over. How many of us have been thrown into a trial where all our hope is gone? And it's not a trial that you created or you caused, but you are in a trial that has put you in a place of losing all hope. What do we do when this happens? I want you to know what we do. It's what Paul and the other two believers did. They may have lost hope in surviving the trial, but they didn't lose hope in God. I want you to understand how important it is what I said. They may have lost hope in surviving, but they did not lose hope in God. There comes a time for us as believers where our fears must turn to faith. Our fears must turn to faith. Remember the God that you serve. We serve a God that can move the mountains. Earlier I was sharing when I woke up at, at, at dawn this morning, I'm looking through my window and I'm looking at the mountains there and I'm just praising God and saying, God, you created that mountain and you can move that mountain. We got to come to a place of realizing that the God that we serve is an amazing God. He has authority over all, thing, over all things that He is the God, Almighty God, and there is no one else like Him. And He reigns. 
See, God wants you to move your fears to faith. Faith in a God that can do the impossible where nothing is difficult for him. And I want you to know one thing and one important thing is that God doesn't bring you through the trials to punish you as some may think or to take pleasure in seeing you stressed out as some may think. But God brings us through the trials to grow your faith, to mature your faith, and to receive glory through your faith. To mature your faith, to grow your faith, and to bring glory through your faith. How do I know this? Because I read His Word, and His Word reveals this to us, and I allow His Word to sink in my heart, to rest in my heart, and to live in my heart, and to take root in my heart. And look at what His Word says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We have that again, right? Didn't we talk about perseverance earlier? The same thing. The testing of your faith produces patience. But let's, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You come to a state of growth. You come to a state of maturity. And not only we, do we have that scripture, but we also have this scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why are you grieved that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ? What God wants is that your faith that goes through the trial may bring glory and honor to the Lord. It's all about your faith. And that's what we must remember. Believe me, Paul's faith was truly tested. Paul's faith was tested. He said, I had fear, but then he had to come to a point of saying, I need to turn my fears into faith. I need to transfer my fears to faith. And how did he do this? Let's read on in verse 21. It says, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Paul says, you should have listened to me. We wouldn't be here today, but I want you to take heart and understand this, that no one will lose their life when the ship goes down. I want you to, I mean, it sounds like if Paul is mocking them, right? And, and Paul is boasting in, in what he had told them, but I don't agree with that. You know why I don't agree with that? Because he didn't say this earlier. He says this now. He said it now. Why would he say it now? Because remember, he had a word. There was a word that was given to him, and if they were going to listen to him, he needed to remind them that, guess what? Remember, I shared with you. You guys didn't listen to me, and look at what happened to you. But now, 
Pay attention and do as I say. He's not mocking them. He's just revealing truth to them. And he tells them because an angel of God, of the God that I serve, was sent to tell me not to be afraid. For I will stand before Caesar, and because of his grace, all of you are also going to survive, and I believe what God has spoken. You and I may say, well, we don't have angels that are speaking to us. But I want you to know what you have that is speaking to you. You have God and the living word of God that speaks to you. And that is something that we as people neglect to think that when God, when I read the word of God, it is God that is speaking to me, that he is alive and that he speaks. Many of us just say, oh, I know that scripture, but yet you don't take it to heart that when you hear it, that is a voice of God that is speaking to you. We neglect that. We think, oh, it's just the word of God. Don't look at the word of God as common. Believe it for what it is, the true and the living word of God. I ask God, God, what, what do you have to share for, to these people as I share about this? And I ask him, what scripture do you want me to reveal to them? And he gave me Isaiah 40, verse 31, which is for all of us. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is a word for you. That is from God to you. That is God speaking his words now. These are not nice words or good words or inspirational words. These are the living word of God. I want to share with you someone else that had this challenge. Remember John the Baptist when he was in prison? Remember when he was doubting Jesus? John sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And in Matthew 11, 40, 11 verses 4 through 5, he told, John the Baptist told him, he says, Go, uh, John the Baptist sent them, and Jesus in return responded to those two disciples and told them this. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He wanted to let John know, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. You being in prison, you going through your storm of life, you have the enemy that is speaking to you and telling you lies, but no one thing that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You know what's amazing about this? Because after he wanted these words to go to John, look at what he says in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. If you are going through a storm in life, you come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For those of you going through the storms of life, just like John the Baptist, he needed to be reminded, we need to be reminded, and we need to be told to come to him and we will find rest. Paul's faith in God is the same faith he wants in us. There's no difference. We can have that same faith. It's a choice. Are you going to trust God? 
Or are you just going to say, oh, the storm's too big for you, God. The storm is greater than you, God. Or are you going to trust God more than the storm? I'm going to give you three lessons here. And the first one comes from these scriptures, from verses 21 through 26 here. Remember, I've been talking about sailing through the storms. When we look at what happened with Paul, the first lesson is this. Experience the storm. As a believer, you need to experience storms. What good are you if you don't go through trials to be used by the master so that you can encourage others? See, we get so upset and mad at God with the storms that come our way. But yet, as we saw from James, that he told us to grow, that we are to grow and to mature, so that in turn, we can encourage others. Many of you are new in the faith, and I remember when I was six months in the Lord, the company that I worked for went under. Why? Because there was a mismanagement, and I lost my job. But I trusted in the Lord. I was new in the faith. And I remember hearing the words from the pastor that, he, God, that God will not forsake you, that God will not leave you. And I trusted in him and the Lord provided and replaced me with a more secure job. And not only that, then he gave me the amazing job at BMW Financial Services. I want you to know that I can share my personal experiences with others with every trial that I have faced. What good am I if I haven't Gone through trials to be able to sympathize with you, to be able to have compassion with you, if I myself have not gone through trials. My trials from when I first became a believer all the way up to now. My illness, and not only my illness, but my wife's cancer and all that she's going through. I can't share, I can't be compassionate with you. I can't comfort you as I've been called to comfort you with God's word if I haven't gone through these things. Many times we fight the battle, we fight the experience, we're upset at the experience instead of receiving the experience, as James said, with joy. Knowing that God is using me, God is teaching me, God wants to use me to comfort others when I have escaped the trial. And believe me, I've seen through many of you as well as in my life that the blind are seen today, that the lame are walking today, that the lepers are being cleansed today, that the dead are still rising to life. God hasn't changed. God is still with us. And I am able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which I have been comforted by God. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Paul shared with them, take heart. In other words, take courage. As Paul was comforted by God, remember, he knew his previous experiences, his previous shipwrecks, his previous storms of life. And he saw he got through it. He saw that God held him together, that God was holding on to him and carrying him, and that all was well, the storm passed. And he's telling them, Take heart. Take courage. It's all going to be good. I heard the word of God. In verse 27, it goes on to say, Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. 
And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff, the lifeboat into the sea, under pretense of putting other anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of you, of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lined the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Two weeks into this storm, they're in the Adriatic Sea and the sailors, they're the sailors. These are the ones that begin to sense the land is near. And how did they sense this? They probably heard the waves crashing on the rocks and on the land. And so immediately, knowing that they're skilled sailors, they threw out soundings. And what are soundings? Soundings are, the, are an instrument that measures the ocean's depth. It measures the land beneath the water. And the first sounding measured 120 feet. And the next one measured 90 feet. And by this time, because they're moving closer and closer, they're thinking to themselves, we're going to be driven against the rocks on the shore. And so immediately they tried to stop it and they threw out the four anchors and they prayed for daylight. But remember, we're talking about 276 and most of these are, they're all non-believers except for three. So we don't know what they were praying for, but we know what Paul, Aristarchus, and Dr. Luke were praying. We're told here that the sailors were all for themselves. Guess what they decided to do? They said, hey, let's throw out the lifeboat and we'll get in that boat, pretending just to put out another anchor from the ship. But in reality, they were wanting to escape the boat and leave the others behind. Paul immediately knows what they're doing. The wisdom of God revealing these things to us, the discernment from God. And Paul tells us in turn, he says, if these men don't stay on the ship, then we're all going to die. And so the centurion, guess what he does? He doesn't talk to the sailors. He, he talks to his soldiers. And you know what he tells the soldiers? Cut off the ropes of the lifeboat so no one escapes. This blows my mind. You know why it blows my mind? Because that was their only way off the boat. But yet the centurion trusted in Paul and what Paul had shared with him. Do people trust what you say? Even a non-believer, does he believe the words that you say? Men and women of integrity, what you say is what you do. Don't be saying things that you're not going to do. 
Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Learn to be honest. Learn to be trustworthy. Learn to, uh, to, to show people who you are in Christ, that what you say is what you do. And since they hadn't eaten, Paul reminds them, you know what, it's time to eat. We've got to survive. Remember, not a hair of yours is going to perish. You're going to survive, and so let's eat. And so Paul takes the bread, not communion, because these were non-believers, but he gives thanks to God in the presence of all. And they ate, and all 276 on that ship were encouraged. You know what? Their words are very powerful. You know, this is why James also talks about words. Either they're going to give life or they're going to bring death. And when you say a perfect word, people receive it so well. And this is what happened with Paul. Paul was speaking truth, and they received it well. That's why in Proverbs 25, verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. So what do we learn from this? I told you I would give you three lessons. The second lesson is this. Encourage in the storm. Encourage in the storm. As we just read here, right? Paul encouraged them. He gave them counsel and he prayed. And they saw a man that moved from fear to faith. And when your faith is shown and seen by others, it encourages them. It brings them courage. You know, my wife shared this with me the other day. She says, you know what? For us as believers that are passionate and on fire for the Lord, we warm those around us, don't we? And then we're all you know what, in that same, you know, fire that's just burning bright. But what happens when you're around non-believers? They don't have a fire. And what happens when there's no fire in them and you're the only one blazing? It dies out, doesn't it? It dies out. But when you're around other believers that are on fire for the Lord, you yourself will also catch that fire. When we think about Paul, Paul praying for them and encouraging them by his example of faith and courage. Three ways to encourage others. Your testimony, the word of God, and prayer. Remember that. Prayer. When they hear you praying. When you pray for someone else, I've prayed for people and they are encouraged, right? Because they truly are receiving that prayer and believe that it is going to God and, be, and because they're going through the trial that they can't see anymore, the, the storms of life, they can't see clearly anymore, but they can definitely hear the prayer. And then the word of God. And then your testimony to remind them, you know what, I've been through this. Remember, we go through the storms. It's not about you anymore. You've escaped the storm. It's now about encouraging others. You know, God brings you, I don't know if you notice this, but God will bring you people that have gone through the same trials that you have gone. And a lot of people are, oh, I'm so embarrassed to talk about my trials. Stop it. That's a lie of the enemy. The enemy doesn't want you talking about how God delivered you because he doesn't want to encourage them. He wants them to give up. 
And many of us, we are so embarrassed by the things that we've gone through. Why are you embarrassed? God delivered you. You're not that person anymore. That man is dead and the new man in you lives. And this is who people see now. And it's an amazing testimony that you could give to others. That's who I was. And this is what God did to me. And this is what he did for me. And he can do the same for you. As we keep reading on in verse 39. It says, When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile losing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore, but striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Let's first talk about what we read there in, the first, in verse 39. When it was day. When it was day. Remember, they couldn't see before, right? They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun. See, this is a picture of what happens to us when we begin to believe when we are refreshed, when we are encouraged, we can definitely see the light of day. You begin to realize that you're going to make it through. That if we trust, we're going to make it through. That even though the storms have shaken our life, we're going to make it through. See, it's the Lord that holds us together. And it's He that carries us through. You know, for these guys, they, they didn't recognize the coastline. And they saw the bay with the beach, and they thought to themselves, we'll get the ship through the rocks. And so they just cut the anchors, right, to let it go through. And they lowered the rudders, and they raised the sail, and they headed towards the shore. While the ship hits the sand shore, and the front end is stuck in the waters. And it compromised the ship and the waves are colliding and the boat is breaking apart. And the soldiers are saying, hey, let's kill the prisoners because if they escape, then guess what? They're going to kill us. That's the consequence that one received for losing a prisoner. But the centurion wanting to spare Paul, he says, no, you can't carry out that plan. He instructed those that could swim to get out first. And the others who could not swim... You know what? The boat was already broken up. Jump on the planks. Get on the debris and get to shore. And everyone escaped safely. Everyone escaped safely. So what's the third lesson? Escape the storm. You will escape the storm. The storm will pass. 
Whatever storm you are in, it will pass. As a child of God, understand this. You will escape the storm. Why? Because God is the Lord of all, and you belong to God. And God has, and God is above the storm. He's the one that calms the storms of life. He's the one that calls the storms to end, and he allows us to escape the storm. But remember, God will hold you together. Even though you see yourself falling apart, don't ever forget that God will allow you to escape the storm. Remember, storms aren't made to last forever. What storm have you heard that lasted forever? Even the great storm that flooded the world, did it last forever? It ended. And so do our storms in life. They all have an ending. And how do I know that? 1 Peter 1, 6, we read this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. It says there, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, they are for a little while. The storm is for a little while. You are grieved, you're falling apart, but God will hold you together. Why? 1 Peter 1, 7 that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith has been called to bring God glory and honor. Without the storm, your faith wouldn't bring him glory and honor. You go through the storms, not caused by you, and maybe some caused by you, but as we see today, these were storms that are not caused by you. And we're thrown into these major storms of life. And God wants you to experience this storm. He allows you to experience the storm because he wants you to encourage others when you escape the storm. How can God use you if you haven't been through storms? How can you encourage others? How can you have any credibility unless you have gone through the storms? And this is why we count them as joy. But never forget that God is stronger. God has authority. God is greater. Do you believe this? Do you trust him? As we sail through the storms of life, when we sail, when we, like Paul, when we experience the storms. Why? So we can encourage others in the storms, reminding everyone and ourselves that we will escape the storm. This is a promise of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly